Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. Each week, we navigate the most important changes that affect pharmacotherapy. Plus, you can earn pharmacy and medicine CE credit. We know you're busy, so let us bring the learning to you. Click on Claim CE Credit in the show notes below. Now let's welcome your host, Jeff Wall, as he discusses this week's clinical practice game changers. Hello and welcome to Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. How are you doing? I hope uh, things are going well wherever you are and you're having a good week and uh, doing okay in your world. This is a podcast dedicated to talking about the latest in pharmacotherapy, and we really try to focus on pearls that will affect both pharmacists and providers when they're using uh, medication therapy for their patients. So that's what, what, why I hope you're here. If you're new, uh, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome as well. So today's uh, episode, we are going to be talking about tramadol, which if you asked me for the last 20 years, name five of my least favorite drugs, tramadol would definitely be in there. I'm not going to lie. There's probably some bias on my part with this podcast in that I really not like tramadol as a drug almost from the moment it was prescribed. And so I'll admit to a little bit of glee, perhaps, or a little bit of self-satisfaction when a paper recently came out in JAMA that looked at the dangers or adverse effects associated with tramadol in a large retrospective cohort study that we are going to talk about today. So again, tramadol has been around for a long, long time, as everybody knows. More veteran pharmacists and providers may remember that when it first came out, uh, it was considered a weak opioid. In fact, it wasn't even considered an opioid. In fact, it was not a controlled substance. And that never really made any sense to me. When I learned about the pharmacology of tramadol, I was like, but hold it, doesn't it stimulate mu opioid receptors? And if it stimulates mu opioid receptors, how can it not be an opioid? And that, that just never made any sense to me. But at the time, a tramadol was not a scheduled substance. So you could prescribe it just like any other medication. And, you know, I knew enough friends of mine in community pharmacy who kind of shook their heads at that because they could tell you they absolutely knew patients who went, uh, went to their pharmacy who were tramadol addicts. And because it stimulates the opioid receptors, it's going to have all the same issues. And then it has the added fun of also being a serotonergic drug and lowering the seizure threshold. So, you know, not only do you have a drug that yes, in fact, does, does stimulate uh, opioid receptors, but then you've got you've got all these other issues associated with it as well. We've seen it in my hospital, several cases of patients who were on tramadol and usually on other uh, drugs that lower the seizures that are sold who ended up with, yeah, new onset seizures. So the joke in, in, in the world of pharmacy is you don't call it tramadol, you call it tramadont. <laughs> and we were talking uh, before the, the show started and I didn't realize that for those of you who are into post-punk or, or alternative rock, the Red Hot Chili Peppers are coming out with their new album and Anthony Kiedis apparently, who struggled with substance abuse for, for a lot of, a lot of his uh, adult life actually got back into heroin because he was prescribed tramadol for pain. And they were, he was basically told, no, this isn't, this isn't really cause addiction. So, I mean, again, that's kind of an anecdote, but obviously that that's one of the things to kind of think about. So today's uh, study we're going to talk about again, was published in JAMA just recently, and we'll, we'll leave a, a link to the show no, in our show notes about the, the paper, but uh, it points out that, that, you know, everything we've just been kind of talking about that tramadol was long thought to be a safe 
opioid. In fact, in the 2013 guidelines from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, they actually recommended tramadol for knee osteoarthritis, even though there was very little data showing that it actually did anything. Um, and if you take a look at even mid to late 2000s, tramadol is one of the most prescribed drugs in most of Europe and quite a bit in the United States as, as well. The, the authors of the paper point out that you know everybody's well aware of non-life-threatening side effects associated with tramadol, but there has been some signals in some, um, some studies that have suggested that tramadol may have worse outcomes compared to other opioids. And they point out a, a paper that was another observational study that looked at tramadol initiation in osteoarthritis patients and that was associated with an increased risk of all-cause mortality, as a matter of fact. And so, you know, but now again, that wasn't, wasn't they didn't really try to control uh, or for, for any confounders and stuff like that. And some other studies had some differing outcomes. So in this study, they said, well, we're going to try and, and do a, a better job of trying to find this association between tramadol and safety. So this was a large population-based cohort study that took a look at a number of adverse outcomes, including all-cause mortality, cardiovascular events, fractures, constipation, delirium falls, opioid abuse, and sleep disorders. And they used a large database. And for their control or for their match, they used codeine. Now, when I read codeine, I was like, why did you pick codeine? You know, in the United States, codeine use, of course, has plummeted as there were some well-publicized deaths and other adverse effects because of codeine use. Remember that codeine metabolism is genetically determined and some slow metabolizers of codeine will actually not have any effect from it. And some rapid metabolizers of codeine will actually have more of the drug get metabolized into its active metabolite morphine and can actually have the equivalent of an opioid overdose. So in the United States, I've personally not seen, I've seen, you know, Tylenol 3 and other types of codeine type products really kind of plummet, but it's still pretty commonly used in Europe, which is where this study was done. So the reason, if you're your first question out of the gate is why did they use codeine as their as their controller? It's because this was done in Spain, and in Spain, codeine is still is still pretty commonly used. So the study itself was a large retrospective cohort study. Uh, again, one of the advantages of having socialized medicine is that you have these gigantic databases that has every little uh, you know ditzel of of information about the patient that then you can pull from and, and do these kind of studies. And so theirs is the system for development of research in primary care, which comprises routinely collected uh, uh, electronic primary care records and ICD-10 codes and socio-democratic data uh, from over 80% of the residents of Catalonia, Spain. So you know, again, you know, that's one of the reasons you can do these kind of kind of gigantic study. They perform this to compare the risks associated with a new prescription dispensation they use. So, you know, uh, dispen uh, uh, dispensing for us of tramadol versus codeine. Again, they use codeine because it, at least in, in Europe, it's still kind of considered a weak opioid as tramadol would be considered a weak opioid. And so they figured that was the best active comparator to mitigate confounding my indication. Again, you can argue is codeine as safe as they thought it was in, in, in this match? We can certainly talk about that. So they described new dispensation as someone who had had a new prescription for either a coating containing product, uh, usually is coating by itself or a tramadol, and then they did a, a fixed 12-month look-back period uh, where the patient had continuous data coverage and did not find any other opioid prescription. So this was really their first prescription for any type of opioid, and it had to be either tramadol or, or codeine, um, and it had to be between January 1st, 2007 and December 31st, 2017. They then categorized those patients based on, on which drug they were, they were dispensed, and then kind of looked forward over a period of time. They constructed the cohorts 
by their inclusion criteria, they had to be over 18 years of age, they have at least one year of database uh, information. So if they had just entered the database, they couldn't, they couldn't be in it. As I said, no previous opioids within the 12 months, they couldn't have a history of burn injuries, traffic ha uh, crashes, or major surgical procedures, which they included as amputation and joint replacement surgery. I would assume the theory being that those patients would probably be tend to be on more stronger opioids or other types of pain medications. And so th those are kind of the inclusions. One of the big problems with these uh, studies is that, you know, there's always going to be bias and there's always going to be confounding. And, and the only way to, of course, completely get rid of that is randomly control a, a study. You can't do that in these large retrospective studies. So in most of these studies, they actually do uh, regression analyses or they do propensity score matching analysis where they look for confounders and then match people up by the confounders to try and get, try and get rid of that. So confounders they accounted for in here were socio-demographic factors, including age, sex, what part of Spain they lived in, and an interesting factor they called socioeconomic deprivation. I was, um, and they actually had a standardized scoring system for that. I would probably call that just socioeconomic status, um, and and basically what socioeconomic status or or basically I would assume income level you are at. Um, other medical conditions. They did do the Charleston comorbidity index. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's a, a standard index for uh, acute inpatients or outpatients, basically measuring their disease burden. So basically, if you have ten diseases. You're going to have a pretty high Charleston index. If you only have one concomitant disease, you're going to have a low index, and it's commonly used and has been well validated. They also tried to control for concomitant medication use, including psychotropics, non-steroidals, and other analgesics, and then just general healthcare utilization. How much did these patients see their healthcare providers, basically? So that's what they had the markers for trying to, to, com to compare and match so they could get rid of some of this confounding uh, stuff. Again, they used the propensity score matching for each inclusion years. They did propensity score matching for tramadol versus coding and was calculated based using a logistic regression model that included all these baseline characteristics in one gigantic model, then tried to match patients one-to-one -one tramadol versus uh, coding. They did not do genomics. And again, you know, it's worth noting again that pharmacogenomics are now well understood. And it's the same with tramadol. It is worth noting that that tramadol metabolism is also gen uh, genomically determined and you can have a slow metabolizers of tramadol and be more likely to have side effects. As you might imagine, they didn't even mention that in the paper, and 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 you know, no no place I know does routine genomic assessment before they prescribe uh, opioids in patients. But that is worth noting, basically. The outcomes in the study were all cause mortality, cardiovascular events, including stroke, cardiac arrhythmia, myocardial infarction, and heart failure. They looked at fracture, uh, hip, vertebral, and other. And my guess is they're looking at fracture because of falls. Um, they, they they though falls is a whole separate thing. Um, uh, delirium constipation, sleep disorders, and then opioid abuse, which was just defined as an ICD-10 code for opioids. And remember that all these outcomes were ICD-10. Basically, they just looked at that ICD-10 code was put in the patient's chart at a downstream part, and that was part of the outcome. They used one year as, the, as their forward look from the time the patient received their first medication, and, and their cumulative incidences of these outcomes was then done do the, doing the Kaplan-Meier method, pretty standard using Cox proportional hazard ratios. They then spend a lot of time talking about the statistics. Um, as you might imagine, for this kind of study, the stats are always kind of complex to kind of get through. But I mean, generally, they made sense to me. Uh, they did actually eight separate sensitivity analysis. Uh, biggies were first, they, they did a multivariable Cox proportional hazard model to estimate uh, hazard ratios and study outcomes in the entire cohort. And then they did a stratified model to control for the matching structure and the match court. And they did several others after that. So complex 
complex statistics, but they certainly seem to make sense. And they, and they did, I think, as good a job as they can to deal with the confounding factors between the two. So what were the baseline characteristics? Well, you know, they, they had quite a few patients, actually over, had over a million patients between 2007 and 2017 who had had a prescription for either tramadol or codeine in that 10-year space. Then they uh, actually ended up with about uh, 300,000 patients uh, prescribed a tramadol uh, product versus almost 700,000 or over 700,000 with a coding product. And then after they excluded people and matched people and had everything together and got all the propensity score analysis done, they ended up with 184,480 matched pairs. So they had 184,480 people who took tramadol and 180,840 patients who took codeine who were matched in all these baseline characteristics we were talking about. As far as the cohort themselves, if you take a look at, at both cohorts on the whole, there was a slight majority of females to males. Most of these patients were well stratified across socioeconomic strata. So again, they did this, this socioeconomic deprivation score, which I'm not sure I would use that term, but basically they were, they were it was evenly uh, spread throughout uh, versus low, uh, low socioeconomic status versus high socioeconomic status. Most common indications for both drugs were, were back pain and neck and shoulder pain with osteoarthritis being third. And then as far as other comorbidities, which they did look at, again, very, very similar between arms, but diabetes seemed to be the, the, the leading comorbidity in both groups. Um, and that kind of makes sense when you figured out the mean age was about 53 in, in both arms. So, you know, patients in the mid-50s, slight propensity for females, mostly for shoulder and neck and back pain and arthritis and, and, a, and a, a percentage of patients who had mostly diabetes and, and, and some of these other diseases you'd, you'd expect to see. So what did they find? Well, during the one-year follow-up, participants with a prescription tramadol had a significantly higher risk of all-cause mortality cardiovascular disease and fractures um, compared to the coding cohort. And since all-cause mortality is probably the hardest outcome you can get, that's what we'll focus on. So the one-year cumulative incidence of all-cause mortality was, was 12.86 per thousand participants in the tramadol cohort compared to 5.59 per thousand in the coding cohort. Cardiovascular disease was 9.97 per thousand versus 8.62 per thousand. And fractures was 12.07 per thousand in tramadol versus 8.08 per thousand in codeine. All three of those were statistically significant, but again, the biggie, uh, all-cause mortality was almost twice as likely to occur, over twice as likely to occur in patients who got a prescription for tramadol versus codeine. They then did the Kaplan-Meier plots and, and basically found pretty much the same thing. If you look at the Kaplan-Meier plots, they, they, they do find that uh, survival is better with codeine than it is with tramadol, and that started actually relatively quickly after the, the pres first prescription, and, they, and the, the curves didn't diverge back to each others, so they stayed, stayed pretty separate. When they actually looked at other outcomes and, and separate outcomes, they basically found the same thing kind of across the board. They found an increased risk of the individual cardiovascular events. They found an in increased individual of fractures. And no matter what propensity analysis they did, no matter how tried to adjust for, for, for different covariant factors, they found basically the same thing. They found that there was an increased risk of, of, of mortality, an increased risk of cardiovascular events, and an increased risk of fractures um, in uh, the tramadol arm compared to the codeine arm. They did not find a difference in constipation, so I guess there's something there, <laughs> or delirium, <laughs> or falls, interestingly. So again, they found an increased risk in fractures, but they didn't find an increased risk of falls, and the numbers were almost identical, so that's kind of interesting. And opioid use and dependence was actually fairly similar between the two, um, and neither were zero. And I think that that's worth pointing out, that uh, the hazard ratio was 1.91 for opioid use and dependence in the tramadol arm, and it was very similar in, in the codeine 
coding arm as well. And then sleep disorders were very similar as well. So that none of those reached statistical significance, but they did find they were about equal to each other. But again, all-cause mortality, cardiovascular events, and falls in particular in all the different sensitivity analysis they did, they found an increased risk of tramadol. They then decided to look at, at uh, different months periods, and this was post hoc after they, after they did the initial analysis to say, well, is there any difference there? And as you might imagine, the numbers kind of decrease if your window's only three or six or nine months, but, but it, they still found a separation in the curves for all three of these outcomes uh, fairly quickly after the drug was prescribed. It, when they took a look at, at individual patient factors, the increased risk of mortality was actually associated with tramadol among younger individuals compared to older individuals. So that's kind of interesting. A hazard ratio of 3.14 compared to 2.39. Women had a greater risk of cardiovascular events than men. So again, kind of interesting. It wasn't huge. The hazard ratio was 1.32 to 1. Uh, 0.03. And um, as you might imagine, uh, patients with the most prevalent comorbidities had significantly higher fracture risk. And I guess that just stands to reason that if you have more comorbidities, you're more likely to have falls, you're more likely maybe to be taking medications that would put you at risk for, for osteoporosis or for falling and things along those lines. So basically, the authors of the study suggest that their large study finds that there is an association with tramadol compared to codeine in some pretty bad outcomes. And, and again, you know, the worst of all being, of course, all-cause mortality, but cardiovascular risk and, and fractures as well. Now, they do a good job in their in discussion pointing out some of the other studies that have been done. And they do point out that there's been two studies that refute this paper. Solomon and, and his colleagues did a, a paper that looked at, at 31,000 Medicare patients and found that coding users actually had a higher risk of mortality compared with tramadol users, uh, though the numbers were smaller. And they also found fractures in, a, in 180 days of follow-up. However, this wasn't just looking at codeine versus tramadol. It actually was looking at a wide variety of opioids, including oxycodone, uh, propoxyphene. Any of, any of you people out there remember propoxyphene? I'm an old man. I remember propoxyphene and, and hydrocodone and actually found that codeine was, had, had an increased risk of all those things, even compared to oxycodone or hydrocodone, which again, it was surprising to the authors because again, most people would say that oxycodone, hydrocodone tend to be more powerful opioids and would maybe associated with more and more side effects. Again, I wonder if genomic plays a role in this. Um, you know, again, we don't routinely look at someone's genomic profile before we, we dispense uh, Tylenol 3, at least we didn't back in the day. So one wonders if that's playing a role, but it was a smaller study, certainly it had a smaller timeline, and they didn't do as good a job trying to adjust for all the confounding factors. They didn't do all these different analyses and stuff like that. And then the authors of this paper point out another study that looked at a head-to-head comparison of mortality and risk between tramadol coding and several non-steroidals, and found that tramadol initiation associated with an increased risk of mortality compared to non-steroidals, but not codeine. But again, they use a fairly small number of patients, 16,000 patients with osteoarthritis. They didn't do as good a job because the numbers were so much smaller, controlling for, for some of these confounding factors. These were older patients who had multiple more comorbidities, a lot more medications on board, which, which makes their external validity kind of you know, difficult to interpret. So they feel that because their, their study was so much larger and probably did a better job, and I agree with this, trying to adjust for all the different confounders, that yeah, this, that this study probably has a little, a little more heft to it as far as its outcome. So what do I walk away from this? Um, again, I have to admit a little self-satisfaction that I really probably shouldn't have uh, <laughs> looking at papers like this. This just adds to, in my opinion, the shadow that I think has dropped on, on tramadol in the last 10 to 15 years. And now in the United States, tramadol is a controlled substance. Um, 
where again, when, when I first came out, it wasn't. I think that goes to show that I think in still some quarters, people feel that tramadol, you know, is, is a safe opioid, or it's not really an opioid. That's just literally not true. And that it, it's, it's not a clean drug because of its serotonergic properties, because it's propensity to lower the seizure threshold. And because like codeine, your ability to metabolize the drug is genetically determined in some patients at what you would consider to be standard doses may have an exaggerated effect. Also, it's worth noting that tramadol is renally cleared, which is something that in my experience, a lot of prescribers are unaware of. They don't realize that tramadol, is, its active metabolite is actually renally cleared and that you need to reduce the dose in patients with renal insufficiency. And that's a, that's an intervention I've made on my service at, in, in my hospital many, many times over the years that someone comes in with dialysis and they're on tramadol, you know, 100 milligrams three times a day. And I'm like, whoa, that's way too high a dose of tramadol for this patient, you know? So, you know, I what, what I would say is that this, this really just adds more data to the assessment that, you know, uh, you know, I'm not saying we need to, you know, take tramadol off the market or anything along those lines. And, and I do think that it may have a role in some diseases. When physicians ask me, would you ever use tramadol for anything? You know, I think that you might consider it for something like someone who had really bad fibromyalgia, you know, or, or, or some, some other functional pain syndrome, you know, not long-term, obviously, but maybe, you know, one prescription as you started other medications to hopefully treat their symptoms. So if you were starting venlafaxine, or something along those lines, you know, either pregabalin or tramadol may be an option in those patients. But other than that, no, to me, there's, there's really not a reason that tramadol should be used in, in, in almost any case where I would reach for an opioid. And, and I think, I think a lot of, of, of pharmacists I know kind of feel that way. A lot of the pain experts I know kind of feel that way, that it really doesn't have any advantage either, you know, uh, efficacy wise, and now certainly based on the study safety wise compared to other opioids, it has other side effects that other opioids don't have, it just probably isn't a very good drug to be used. So, you know, that's kind of what I take away from this. You know, I'm sure many of the prescribers listening probably have patients on tramadol long-term. They're probably going to have a difficult time getting them off of them. And I totally understand that, but I think it is worth having discussions with those patients as well saying, Hey, you know, there's some new evidence out here suggesting that that long-term tramadol may not be very good for people, you know, are, you know, can we work on trying to transition you off long-term tramadol to something else? And I suspect those, those, those prescribers will get a lot of blank stares saying, well, hold it, I thought tramadol was a safe drug. And I think we just need to explain to patients that maybe when it first came out, that was the thought, but it has certainly not been borne out in the evidence that's come out since. So that's it for this week of, of Game Changers. Again, thank you for listening. Uh, we will catch you next week. But until then, remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. Thanks for listening in. Claim your CE credit by clicking on the link in the show notes. And check out CE Impact's other education at ceimpact.com, where we curate the most important information in pharmacy and medicine to deliver straight to you. Join today to connect your learning to practice.